everyone, my name is Alice. Welcome back to Poetry Says for another year. I'm really, really happy to be back recording this episode for you today. It's been a little while. I think it's been since about late November, early December that I sat down and recorded one of these. Thanks for waiting. Thanks for bearing with me while I had a bit of a summer break there. Uh, I know as a mega podcast nerd how irritating it can be when your favorite podcasts just go away for a while, so I appreciate your patience in waiting for me there. Uh, I have been doing some writing and reading, although my summer reading stack remains terrifying and it is going to not be summer pretty soon. So. Um, yeah, I'm not really sure what to do about that. I have, uh, yeah, I've read some good books though over the summer. Um, I've been having a lot of fun with an American poet called Terence Hayes, who wrote, um, a book called American Sonnets for My Past and Future Assassin. And I've just been absolutely loving that book. I don't know that I can properly cover those poems on here. I think it would be tricky to kind of take one of those and dive into it. Yeah, they're very much Terence's work and Terence's thoughts, and they're not mine to be to be dissecting on here, but I would highly recommend you get into that book. I'm sure I've mentioned it on here before as well. And yeah, I'm really excited for this next year. I've got some big plans of people I want to interview. Also, as always, would love to hear from you. If there are poets you want me to seek out and speak to, then let me know, absolutely. But what I want to do today is to celebrate a book that I have very much enjoyed over the last few months. It came out in 2018 from Vagabond, and it's called Tilt. It's a book by a Sydney poet called Kate Lilly, and it has just taken out the Victorian Premier's Literary Award for Poetry. It was nominated alongside some other fantastic books. The other nominees in the poetry category were Milk Teeth, which is by Ray White, and that's out from University of Queensland Press, and also Flood Damages by Eunice Andrada, which came out from Giramondo. And I'm not usually one to base what I talk about on Poetry Says on who's won an award recently, but I was just so excited that Tilt took out this award Um, Not that the other books that were nominated weren't also fantastic, but there is something very exciting about this book. I'm going to try and encapsulate what that is here today. So I first came across Tilt in a little poetry reading circle that I sometimes go to here in Melbourne. And someone, I cannot for the life of me remember who, had brought along their copy of Tilt and read from the title poem, which is a long poem talking about Kate Lilly's experiences at Luna Park uh, in Sydney in the late 70s. And in this poem, I think the tone of the book, which is equal parts really bitingly funny and deeply, I would say, melancholic uh, and reflective, are set. And the other really fantastic thing about this book is that it starts with a long poem. It then it moves into different styles of poetry, which is something that not many people have the guts to do, I don't think. She has a huge section in the middle of the book here called GG, which is a list poem of items 
originally belonging to Greta Garbo, that I believe were put up for auction at Sotheby's. So that's, that's one example. And then there's this other fantastically hilarious poem called, called Case Studies, which looks at all different kinds of people with these various strange and fantastical mental illnesses. And again, that's, that's sort of a list poem, but she moves through so many different styles, so many different topics as well. It's, it's just a really interesting book. It's really, it gives you so much. And yeah, I hesitate to say that the poem I want to talk about today is my favorite from the book, but it's definitely got that, that biting humor and also the melancholy aspect in it. And it's one that immediately jumped out to me as one that I wanted to talk about. So with Kate's permission, I want to read it to you now. It's called Pastoral. The girl I sat next to in maths at high school sends a postcard 40 years later. I was surprised to hear your poems have lesbian themes. You used to be hetero. Did I? Is that why you invited me to a Sunday afternoon double of the story of O and Emmanuel? I didn't thank you then, so I'm thanking you now. You asked me for a poem about the seasons. At the time, I refused on principle. This is the poem. So I was lucky enough to see Kate read that poem along with Tilt and um, some sections from the rest of the book at uh, a reading that took place here in Melbourne a few weeks ago. Um, Kate was reading alongside some of the other nominees of the Victorian Premier's Literary Awards. And just hearing her voice in that poem was, it's so funny. I don't know if it comes across to you when I read it, but it's a very wry look at a very, very personal subject. And I think there's so many fascinating things going on here in this poem. First of all, I think we need to talk about the title. So pastoral, why would you use that title, which uh, according to the dictionary definition of what a pastoral is, should be a poem or a work of literature that portrays an idealized version of country life. Why would you use that title in a poem about the girl you used to sit next to in maths and this complicated relationship that you had with her. I think the place of the pastoral in Australian poetry is is so troubled. It's yeah, it's it's a really really difficult thing because obviously any time that a writer who is non-indigenous is writing about an idealized version of the Australian country even if that comes from a place of appreciation and, and celebration, it's an act of, what's the best word? It feels like an act of possession, I guess, repossession, describing land in these idealized terms, land that doesn't belong to you. As an example, I want to read a very traditional Australian pastoral by a poet called Charles Harper. Went to my John Kinsella anthology for this one. And the anthology describes Harper, who lived from 1813 to 68, as arguably the greatest Australian poet of the 19th century, who was born in Windsor, New South Wales. Harper is seen as the first non-Indigenous, quote, native-born Australian poet to make the Australian environment his primary subject matter. So the poem here I want to read as an example 
My example of a pastoral is called A Midsummer Noon in the Australian Forest. I'm not going to read the whole thing. Here's how it goes. Not a bird disturbs the air. There is quiet everywhere. Over plains and over woods, what a mighty stillness broods. Even the grasshoppers keep where the coolest shadows sleep. Even the busy ants are found, resting in their pebbled mound. Even the locust clingeth now, in silence to the barky bough. And over hills and over plains, quiet, vast, and slumbrous reigns. Only there's a drowsy humming, from yon warm lagoon slow coming. Tis the dragon hornet sea, all bedaubed resplendently with yellow on a tawny ground. Each rich spot, nor square, nor round, but rudely heart-shaped, as it were, the blurred and hasty impress there. I think you get the idea. So, yeah, such a, such a beautiful vision of the Australian bush. Everything is perfect. Even the dragon hornet. Is there such a thing as a dragon hornet? Wait, let me check that. Okay, yeah, Australian hornet. Yeah, it's got kind of a heart-shaped stamp on it. Yeah, okay. There's, yeah, it's not called a dragon hornet. It's just called an Australian hornet, apparently. So that Charles Harper poem, it's just so... Everything is so... Exactly as the definition says. An idealized version of the countryside. So why would you use the title pastoral if you were writing a poem about the girl you sat next to in maths in high school. Well, I think this is where Kate Lilly's sense of humor is coming through. She's writing a poem about the refusal to write a pastoral. The last three lines being, you asked me for a poem about the seasons. At the time I refused on principle. This is the poem. And there are so many reasons you could refuse on principle to write a poem about the seasons separate to not wanting to commit some kind of act of, of possession or violence on land that wasn't yours. Maybe writing about the seasons is just boring or it's too twee or it's been done to death. Or maybe there's something in here about this relationship between the speaker and the girl that she sits next to in maths. She doesn't want to give her exactly what she wants, perhaps. The other thing to mention about this poem, which I only realized when I took a closer look at it the other day, is that it's 14 lines long, which in my world makes it a sonnet. And we could argue about that back and forth about whether every poem that's 14 lines long is a sonnet or not. Some people would probably say it needs to be rhyming, uh, it needs to use a traditional sonnet rhyme scheme, but I have been taught that any 14-line poem is a sonnet, and added to that, any sonnet is playing with the idea of being a love poem. But this poem, to me, pretty clearly is not a straightforward love poem. The relationship between the speaker and the girl that she sat next to in maths is... Uh, it's a... It's a complicated one. There's a 40-year gap mentioned in the second line. The girl sends a postcard 40 years later. It's not as if there's a sense that these two have been talking much over those 40 years. First of all, it's a postcard, which is sort of a casual way to, to keep in touch with someone. 
but I think the clue is in the, in the third and fourth line. I was surprised to hear your poems have lesbian themes. So she's heard from somebody else that these poems have lesbian themes. She's not, she's not in contact with the writer. She's not really in contact with her work. It doesn't even sound like she's necessarily read much of her work. But then I think my favorite line in the whole poem is the fifth line, you used to be hetero. When Kate read this out at the Alderman, that got a huge laugh. That and the following line, did I? It's just, it's so funny. And I think there's, there's so much about just the ridiculousness of the language we use around sexuality in, encapsulated in that line, you used to be hetero. It's just, as soon as that comes out of your mouth, you realize this, it's so silly. How can you, how can you have been one thing and then change to be something else? I mean, you could argue that, that you can and you can take on, you can apply words to your sexual identity, but I think the way that it's being used here is that very sort of reductive idea of you were this thing, you were a heterosexual person and now you've changed and now you have, you're writing these poems with lesbian themes. So you've changed from being heterosexual to lesbian. There's something about that, that binary describing the change in that binary way that just, I think just highlights how ridiculous that is. Then the poem goes on to question whether the writer of this postcard ever really believed that. She says, did I? Is that why you invited me to a Sunday afternoon double of the story of O and Emmanuel? I didn't thank you then, so I'm thanking you now. Now look, I haven't seen the story of O or Emmanuel, but I'm just looking up a few clips on YouTube here. Which cinema in the late 70s, early 80s is showing this double and why wasn't I invited? This this seems like a great time. Plus, it's a Sunday afternoon double. It just, this just blows my mind. I don't know uh, where this theatre was or how they got away with it at the time. But yeah, and, and I don't know what it must have been like for two high school girls to be going to see these movies. But yeah, they're not G-rated as far as I can tell. This also just amuses me, this this theme of accessing queerness through film. It's something that I can really closely identify with. It's something that I very much used to do when I was younger. I would go to my local Video Easy store and I, I had a list that I had found on some website online, probably quickly deleting the history after I had done this particular search in Alta Vista or whatever I was using at the time. Um, and it was a list of all the movies that this person knew of that had gay or lesbian characters in them or any kind of like some of them were real stretches like my best friend's wedding you know and then other of them were like actually properly exploring um, gay relationships like the wedding banquet for example and I had this list kept in a very secret place in my room and then I would commit the films to memory and I would go to the video easy and I knew where all these films were on the shelves and then I would get the one that I was brave enough to get that time and I would also get like a couple of I'd probably get five at a time I think it was five for ten dollars and I would try to sandwich the film I actually wanted to see so Gods and Monsters is there but so is also like 
Happy Gilmore and um, oh, I don't know, like Legally Blonde or something. Like they're all kind of all there together and I take them up to the counter sweating bullets and um, just hope that nobody says anything about the fact that I'm renting Gods and Monsters. Nobody cares, obviously. Nobody cares. Nobody is making a link between me hiring Gods and Monsters in 1998 and my sexuality <laughs> but I was very scared so yeah I think that's why I love this poem so much is because it reflects that very you know it's a very it's a very 80s 90s queer person experience of just trying to find representations of yourself out there in the media that that are just so few and far between and it's it's wonderful now that that is that is absolutely no longer the case I can't imagine what it must be like to grow up as a as a young queer person now. Um, I assume that there are other massive challenges that I can't appreciate, but representation seems to be becoming less and less the issue, which is really interesting. So yeah, I think this is a hilarious, sweet, biting, and really deeply satisfying poem that plays with the idea of the pastoral, plays with the idea of the sonnet, the love poem. It says something that only a poem could say. It's kind of a rite of reply poem. And yeah, thanks so much to Kate Lilly for permission to read and discuss this. These are all my hot takes and not endorsed by Kate Lilly. But yeah, I, I deeply appreciate this poem. Deeply appreciate this book, Tilt. And yeah, really happy that it's having the success that it's having at the moment. <laughs>